0: Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.
1: So this morning, I'm going to be sharing the last of the series on prayer. Scott opened the series talking about the prayer in the life of the individual, Matt shared about the prayer of healing, Scott last week shared about the prayer for our country, and today is, uh, and I think at every level, prayer can be difficult and challenging, but this, uh, this morning, this for me, this may be easy for you, but for me, uh, we're going to be dealing with a difficult part of prayer, for me. Uh, and and wouldn't it be just like God where I get to preach it twice, you know? God's going to say, "Okay, Rick, you're going to hear it once on Saturday, you're going to hear it on Sunday, and you get to prepare for it." So I'm just going to work on you a little bit. And man, has he been doing that! Before we dig into it, I want you to watch this little video on prayer. Uh, I don't know if you know who Tim Hawkins is, but he's he's a Christian comedian. And he has some insightful things that we should gather about prayer. Watch this with me.
0: The best, though, is the way people, when they pray over food. That's the funniest. When we pray over food, we don't know why we say You ever heard this one? Lord, bless this food and the hands that prepared it. The hands that prepared it. Why not the whole body? (laughs) No.
1: Just the hands. Best, I love this one over food. Sometimes we pray over food and ask God to make up for our bad choices when we eat. That's funny. (laughs)
0: Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies. Lord, bless this bag of Cheetos (laughs) and this Jumbo Dr. Pepper Lord. Somehow make this nourish us in some way. I don't know how you're going to do it Father, but we just trust in you now. Father, change the molecular structure of this food. This complete trash we're about to shove in our gullet. Caves the Cheeto into a carrot
1: stick on the way down. The worst prayers, they got to be the prayers that parents pray with their kids. No wonder they don't want to go to bed at night. My parents used to pray this with me in the dark when I was a kid. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to give.
0: if i should die <laughs> before i wake i pray the lord my soul <sighs> sweet dreams <laughs>
1: <laughs> How many of you have prayed that prayer with your kids? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think right after that little clip as he's walking out and he says sweet dreams, he turns back around and goes, and don't let the bed bugs bite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to laugh at ourselves every now and then. Um, <laughs> I will be praying for Cheetos today. I will be doing that. Okay, so now... Let's dig in. It's over in Matthew 5. It's in verse verse 43 that Jesus gives us one of these great, great challenges. When talking about prayer, he says, pray for your enemies. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And then verse 44, he says, but I tell you to love your enemy and pray for those who who persecute you. And you know what? When everything is good in my life and everything's great relationship-wise, I read that verse and I just kind of go, yeah, that's, that's what we should do. Until you recognize that there are enemies in your life, there are people in your life that you really don't want to love and that you really don't want to pray for except that God would just kind of take them out. And so, this challenge that Jesus presents to us, I've got to tell you who He presented it to. And this is important you get this. He was talking to a host of people at the Sermon on the Mount, but He was was dealing with, He was was targeting the Pharisees. Because here's what they believed. They believed that as, as long as they obeyed all the laws and they looked really good on the outside, that they were right with God and most of the laws that they were obeying were laws that they themselves had developed, okay, rules and regulations. And so they looked really nice and clean on the outside. And because they were so clean on the outside, they would cast judgment on everyone else. Because they felt like they were in good standing with God. They were righteous. Truth of the matter is, they were self-righteous. And Jesus was calling them out. And Jesus always calls us out. And instead of going to the outer stuff, He goes to the heart. He goes right for the heart. And, and, he's, and, and today, what, what I would like for you to get inside of you this morning, even as we begin this, is that I, I want you to take what's being said as Jesus leads us in, in his scripture through this, and I want you to apply it to you. I don't want you to be thinking about anybody else. This is very much Jesus going after your heart. And he's saying, I want you to know that while you're here casting your judgment on this or that or whatever, you're jacked up too. You know it? And because you're jacked up too, you have no place to be a judge. And one of the areas that he's going to show this is in how we relate to our enemies. And so, if you look in your, in your sermon notes, in your bulletin, You'll see the first question that I ask here. Okay, so who are the enemies? Now, to the Pharisees, I want you to understand this. To the Pharisees, the enemies were the people outside of Israel. Anyone that was a non-Jew was the enemy of a Pharisee. Okay, anyone that was a non-Jew was an enemy of the Pharisee. And they used Scripture in the Old Testament to support their position, but they were totally taking it out of the context in which it was given by God to Moses. So I want you to look at this Scripture. It's in Leviticus 19. I'm going to read verses 13 through 18. Don't defraud your neighbor. Now see that word neighbor? That neighbor, they would the Pharisees interpreted, well, the Jews. Don't defraud your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life, for I am the Lord. Don't hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so the Pharisees took that passage, that, that commandment from God to them, and said, Well, obviously, God wants us to have favor only towards our own people, and everyone else outside of our circle are our enemies. But that's not the case at all. See, at this point in time, Israel is, is hardly even a nation. They're this mass, mass group of millions of people that God had brought together through Joseph. Now, I'd have to go do a big history thing here, and I'm not going to go there, but you can read the tail end of Genesis, and you'll see all of this happening. Um, he, he's bringing a nation together, and he wants this nation to do one thing, just one thing. He wants this nation to be a light for God to the rest of the world. Do you have, are you with me on this now? That's what he wants for Israel. And in order for Israel to be an influence on their world, on, not their world, on the whole world, in order for them to point others to God, they needed to be in a right relationship with each other. So they're not a nation yet. God is bringing them together as a nation. And now he's saying, I want you to have influence on the rest of the world. But in order for you to have influence on the rest of the world, you can't be holding grudges against your neighbor. You can't be holding grudges against your own people. You can't be seeking revenge against your own people. You need to take care of one another. And in essence, you need to get along and love each other. And if you do that then as you do that, you will be a light to the rest of the world. Well, you know what? They failed. They failed miserably. And along comes Jesus, and Jesus now, referring to people who are going to be His followers, He says this, You are the light of the world. You are. This is what you are. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be a light to the world. You're going to be what I had, what we had called, what God had called Israel to be. You are going to be, church. That's what you're going to be. But in order for the church to be a light to the world, the church has to be able to function together, love each other, and represent God to the world one of the reasons why believers remain i mean unbelievers remain unbelievers is because of the testimony that the church has given to the world and it's this that we can't get along with each other that we have we have developed enemies within the body of Christ And rather than loving each other and encouraging each other, knowing that we all carry baggage, we all have junk, rather than doing that, we judge each other and we put each other down and we talk about each other and we gossip and and we just let it fly. And when we do that, we destroy. First of all, we destroy each other. And secondly, we destroy our influence in the world. Because if you got a church that's fighting and fighting and fighting and constantly going at each other, who in the world outside of the church wants to be a part of that? I mean, Lord, i got enough troubles in my own life. I don't need to come in and enter into a war. So in order for the church, Christ's community in particular, because that's the only one I can speak for, but the church of Jesus Christ as a whole, in order for the church to have influence for the sake of Christ, then we need, as, they, as Moses was instructing Israel, we need to learn to love each other. Now, I have this in your outline next, because this is as I'm, this I put in here as if I were sitting in front of Jesus. I probably wouldn't talk back to Jesus, but I, I can as long as we're not face to face. You know how that goes. And, and, I, and I would say, love them. I don't even like them. I don't like what they have done to me. I don't like what they have said about me. I don't like how they, they tear down rather than... Be, I don't like them. And you want me to love them? And the Lord Jesus says, uh, yeah, yeah. I do, but I don't want you to just love them. Here's what I want you to do. Let's look at Luke 6, verse 27. Can we put that up there, Chris? There you go. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Now, look at this. Do good to those who hate you. Now, before you go, we go to the next verse, here's what I want you to do. Take your outline there. And in your outline, I want you to write the word, do good to them. This is what love is going to look like if you're going to love your enemies. Number one, you're going to do good to them. Rick, I don't want to do good to them. That's what I told Jesus. I don't want to do good to people who are, who are hurting. I don't want to do good to people who are talking. I don't want to do good to people who... who I just don't like. I just don't want to. I got a feeling I'm not the only one in that boat in this room today. Because we've all got our reasons and we've all got our lists. You do good to them. Look for the opportunity to do good, which generally presents itself when some kind of calamity strikes in the family. If there's a death in the family, if there's If someone goes into the hospital, if you know that there's something going on, if they they lose their job or something like that, take the opportunity to send a note of encouragement to your enemy. Do good to them. Second, bless them. Second thing, bless them. As a matter of fact, let's look at Romans 12, verses 17 to 21. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, It's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So when when there is gossip and when there's slander and when there's criticism, you meet that gospel that that criticism and that gossip and that slander. You meet that with kindness. You bless them. I told the group last night. I. It was so good to be able to go home to Virginia Beach this past week and see my family, my brother, who, who still lives there. My brother is not in good health. He's got some really bad news about his lungs. One completely doesn't work, and whatever disease it is is spreading to the other. And you know, I, it was, I, I love my brother Bruce. He's my baby brother. He's six years younger than me, and I just, uh, we, we have been close. And, um, of course, as you move away and you lose connection a little bit, I get to see him once or twice a year, and uh, so when I when I was saying goodbye to him the last day I was with him, um, I just we, he and I prayed together and just hugged each other and told each other we loved each other, and that was really good. But as I was uh, good to be able to do that, but as I was thinking through this sermon, Bruce would always say. This is if he was going to cuss somebody. Because um, he's not perfect like I am. Um, if, if, he, if he was going to cuss somebody, he, he, would, he wouldn't cuss them out. He'd bless them out. And that's what he did. And I, and I got to thinking, okay, for my enemy, bless them. Oh, I could do that. I could do that like Bruce does it. Hey, I'm going to bless you right now. You know, I could do that. But that's not what, he's, what Jesus is talking about, obviously. Meeting criticism and gossip and slander with kindness. Third thing, pray for them. You know, it's difficult to pray for someone you hate. It's difficult to pray for someone you hate. And maybe that's why Jesus told us to pray for them. Because as we begin to pray for our enemies, we find it more difficult to hate our enemies. And I have, I, I have had a number of people uh, give testimony to this that that people who have been their enemies as they started praying for them, it didn't take away the disdain for what was said or done, but, but it helped in their attitude towards the person that they considered their enemy. And you see that quote that I have from Charles Haddon Spurgeon there, that prayer is the forerunner of mercy. Um, pray for your enemies. Fourth thing we're told in, that Romans tells us, is that we don't repay them. You did something evil to me. You, did, you said something wrong about me. You slandered me. You gossiped about me. Whatever you did, when you want to you pound of flesh. You want to stand up for yourself. You want to stomp your foot. You want to bless them. You want to do all of that. Don't repay evil for evil. Vengeance is God's thing not ours you might consider being a little like David I certainly have at times Lord when are you going to take them out I'm praying for them and I'm 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 not doing vengeance on them but I'm asking God to come on God do you know what's happening here? Would you just, for a second, make their life miserable so that maybe you could shake them so that so that they'll they'll be better towards me? Don't repay. It's over in the book of Revelation uh, in one of the scenes in heaven, and they're they're around the throne, and Jesus is on the throne, and and as as they're. As John looks into this picture, he records this. He says that around the throne were all those who were martyred for their faith. All those who had been killed. And, and they're crying out to Jesus. They're saying, Lord, how long? How long is it going to be till you take it, just take out your vengeance on the people who killed us? Come on, God. Come on. Do your thing. And I love the scene because John writes it this way. And the Lord took white robes and gave it to him and said, basically, just go over there and sit down and enjoy heaven. I'll take care of the vengeance stuff. Leave it to me. You just go and enjoy heaven. Enjoy peace. Enjoy your relationship with me. Let me handle the vengeance stuff. Yeah, but God, I'm afraid you're going to wait too long. And, And I'm just really not a patient person. Can I tell you this? I am glad that God is patient. Now listen. If he had decided in 1974 to pour out his wrath, return, and end it all, come back, set up his kingdom right here, everything's going to be perfect again, if he'd have come back in 1974, I'd be in hell today. Because of his patience, because he waited another year, I had the opportunity. I'd had it before. I just rejected. I had the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. I thank him for his patience. And he's not patient just so that he can make your life miserable. Going, come on, God, when are you going to get back at these guys? He's patient because there are others, just like me and just like you, that he is drawing to himself. And so we wait on him to do his thing. We love each other. We pray for each other. We do good to each other. We bless each other. And we don't repay each other. And then the last thing I have for you there is live peaceably with them. And then the underlying section is this, if possible if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, the scripture says, live peaceably, as much as it depends on you. Yeah, but God, they don't want to live peaceably with them. That's not what I'm saying. Rick, that's not what I'm saying. As much as it depends on you, Rick, if it's possible, you live at peace with them. That's what loving your neighbor looks like, all right? Now, when I was studying this and going through this, and I'd read this passage numerous times over the years, my response, my response was this: God, I don't want to do this. I, I really, I really don't want to do this. Why should I do it? Let me, let me tell you this part real quick. When I was a little guy in Virginia Beach, there was a there was a little drugstore about three quarters of a mile from the house that I was raised in, and And I would ride my bike up with my friends up to the drugstore every now and then. We didn't have any money. I mean, my family didn't have much money. Uh, It was a a big family outing if we ever got to go to McDonald's. And um, anyway, we we rode up to the store, and one of the things I loved was a Three Musketeers bar. Loved Three Musketeers bar. At that time, the bars were about this big, and they cost a nickel. A nickel. And that's where all the young people now go, dude, you are old. Um, and so uh, they, they, co- they cost a nickel. Now for a nickel, you can get about your thumbnail uh, of a Three Musketeers bar. And so I went up there and I was with my friends and we were, we were walking in the drugstore. And, and I don't even know why we were in there, but I know I just moseyed over by the candy shelf. And when I saw that Three Musketeers bar and I moseyed over there by the candy shelf, I just uh, reached over. And grabbed it, slid it in my pocket, walked out of the drugstore, got on my bike, and headed home. Probably the chocolate on my mouth gave it away to my parents, uh, but they, my mom had always told me your eyes tell us everything. We know when you're lying. We know, we know, we can see it. It's written all over your face. And man, I would try to erase that look all the time. But anyway, I was caught by my mom and dad when they confronted me with it. And, and when I confessed, they said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to take this nickel... And we're going to put you in the car. And we're going to drive up there to that drugstore. And you're going to get out of the car. And you're going to walk into the drugstore. And you're going to tell the, the owner what you just did. And you're going to hand him this nickel. And you're going to apologize. I don't want to do that. But please don't make me do that. Please, please, please don't make me do that. You know, I don't want... Please don't make me do that. Can you guys just take the nickel up? Could I just go throw it in the door? Anything, you know? And, uh, and so... I went in, I gave the nickel, I apologized, I came out embarrassed, I came out with tears in my eyes, I came out my heart racing, huffing, and, and, and you know what, doc, my doc's over here, maybe that's why I had AFib, it may all go back to that one event in my life, anyway, and when I get in the car, and I, okay, everything's settled, and we're starting to drive home, my dad turns around and says, by the way, you're grounded for a week, too. And, and I just, I mean, I just cried. And, and my mom and dad said, I don't want you to ever forget, and this is what I want you to hear, I don't want you to ever forget who your parents are. Because what you do, Rick, reflects us as parents. Don't embarrass us. We don't do that. We don't steal from people. No, we don't have a lot of money, but we don't steal. And you don't steal because it's a reflection on your parents. Now, folks, listen to me. The reason you love your enemy and do good to them and bless them and pray for them and not seek out vengeance is because you've got a parent in heaven who you represent. That's why you do this you're going to go, I don't like this though. And I'm telling my mom and dad, well, I don't like this. I don't want to go into the store and do this. It's not a matter of do you like this or not. This is a matter of this is what your heavenly father said. This is what his life looks like. And those who follow him are doing all they can do to exhibit those qualities love your enemy, pray for them, do good to them, bless them, don't repay evil for evil with them, and if at all possible, live peaceably with them. You do it because I'm your dad. God, we don't like you when you talk like that. We just want you to go, oh, just have a nice life. Go, go, go. I saved you. Do what you want. But that's not how it works. This is one of the hard parts of Christianity. You see, Jesus, think about this. Over in Luke 23, Jesus on, on the cross. He is on the cross. He doesn't have to be there. He already said that He could call legions of angels to come down and rescue Him from that cross at any moment. He could pull the curtain down and say, show's over, not going through with this. Not for these guys. Lord, Dad, don't you know that these are my enemies? The whole world has rebelled against us. They're my enemies. And yet Jesus, having been beaten, punched in the face over and over, crowned with thorns, pierced in his hands and feet on the cross, stabbed with a sword in the side, absolutely brutalized, mocked, hassled, harassed, everything that you can imagine on the cross, looks and says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Now see, here's the thing. If you have an enemy in your life, and you probably do, if you have an enemy in your life, I don't want you to come to me after the service and go, but Rick, but Rick, you don't understand. Let me tell you what happened. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the cross and stand in, on the, in front of the cross and tell Jesus what happened and why you shouldn't forgive them. Because Jesus gave himself not just for you individually, but for the whole world that was in rebellion to him and still is in rebellion to him. It says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And, and one of the guys nearby, his name was Stephen. After the church gets started, over in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, standing up for Jesus, proclaims his love to Jewish people. And and he tells about the crucifixion and the resurrection. And you know what? People got ticked at Stephen. They got so ticked that he was talking about this resurrected Jesus that they threw him down in a pit and took stones and started stoning him. And the scripture says that they stoned him until he died stoned him to death for standing for Jesus. And do you know what? While he was being stoned to death, Luke records in Acts that he looked up to heaven and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father and he said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He was just like his Father. Now, You may be like me, and I go, man, well, okay. But that's Jesus. I mean, he was perfect, and that was Stephen. He was there. He saw Jesus. He heard Jesus. He walked with Jesus some. So let's bring it up to date. I had to go back just a little bit. I'm going to share with you a video here in just a second. The lady who's being interviewed on the video, I had the privilege of sitting down with her 10 years ago. Ten years ago. She's in heaven now. Her name's Phyllis Shoemaker. She had a daughter named Beverly Taylor. She was a teacher out at the prison in Lucasville. A lot of you will remember this. And while she was teaching her class of honor inmates, she took a break. She went to the bathroom and an inmate followed her into the bathroom and brutally killed her. If you're the parent, what do you do with that? Your day is going just like every other day when all of a sudden it is thrown in your face. You, you, have, you have life Altering, a life altering experience, and you did nothing. You were just going through your day. She was just doing her job. I want you to watch as I interviewed her about how she dealt with this.
0: After all these years, it's very difficult to talk about that day.
1: I come, I
0: come. To the Lord. She left for work as usual. Um, I, it was the last day of, well, the children were already out of school, but I had to work in my room, so I was in my room working. And about 9 30 or so she went to the restroom and like i said i do not know how he got by he must have gotten down on the floor and crawled but um, when she came out of the restroom he pushed her back in and murdered her will you take
1: from me i will
0: bless you. I hated him. I hated him so much because she had told me, Mr. Vaughn is mad at me. And I said, why? And she said, I don't know. He said he didn't know why he killed her. She was better to him than anyone he had ever known. But I think myself, personally, I think that he killed her because he was afraid they were gonna take him out of the classroom. His attorneys, Eddie Vaughn's attorneys, subpoenaed me and kept me out of the, so the jury never laid eyes on me or my son or her husband. It was eight years, and Scott, the minister here, came to me after church one evening, and he said, you know, I think it's time you started to think about forgiving. And I said, I can't do that. I don't like him. I can't stand him. And he said, you don't have to like him. You just have to forgive him. I can't say that happened overnight. It didn't happen overnight. I mean, I went home from here and I thought it, because really up till then I would never thought about it. I really never did. It's hard to forgive the unforgivable and I felt like he had done the unforgivable. And then the more I thought about it and prayed about it, the more that it just came to me that I, I think I've forgiven him. I still don't like him. I do not like him I never will but I don't think about him the Bible says that love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you against you but I haven't got to that place yet and maybe I never will and I sure never thought that I would end up my life like this
1: the honesty The honesty of a heart of someone who's had to deal with forgiving much. I didn't mention this last night, but Phyllis ended up, she ended up coming up here to church every Christmas season to help wrap gifts for the children of inmates through our angel tree program. And I know she went to her grave dealing with that angst, dealing with that difficulty. And you, you heck, you feel it and you're not even related to it. You feel it. Here's where I want to go. This is what we're taking home. And this is where it gets tough. But it's time for you and it's time for me to practice love. It's time for you and it's time for me to practice what Jesus has told us here, and this is difficult. What does that love look like? Let me read this passage and then we're going to uh, spend a little bit of time with some personal challenge. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. The quote I have in your in your bulletin, I, I need to read this. To return evil for good is devilish. To return good for good is human. But to return good for evil is divine. That's what Christ is asking us to do when he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, men... uh, who are distributing communion, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you, if you will, just walk back, pick it up, and come on up and start distributing it. All right? And while they're distributing, as it comes, I'm going to be talking to you because this is where we are today. This is what the communion table is all about. Communion is where we, where love and mercy meet. It's where we stand before the cross and we say, Thank you, Father, for dying for our sins. But it's where we, as people who have been forgiven, are also commanded then to deal with stuff on this level. Here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you right now, as the men are distributing, I want you to think of the one or two enemies... And see, I have to stop it too because I would be pulling out a sheet of paper and making my list, as as uh, as you would as well. And I, I just want you to think about one or two enemies in your life right now. You're not going to be sharing this with anybody. This is between you and God, no one else. But it's time that we look at the teaching of Jesus here. And it's time we get things right. More particularly, what I'd like you to think about is if in this room right here, in this body right here, right now, There's enemies of yours right here, right now. There's people who have hurt you. Or there's people that you have slandered, done evil to, if they're in this room right now. Then I'm going to ask you to consider to do something really difficult. I'm going to invite you to go to that person before you walk out of this building and certainly before you take communion, even if that means you've got to take the elements you've got and you're just going to set them down. And you deal with that right here, right now. Because I've got to tell you something, Christ Community Church... God is not going to bless this place whatsoever if sitting in this room we're all harboring anger, distrust, hatred for each other. He's not, we can pray it all we want. Lord, pour out your spirit. He ain't pouring it out because you're not being obedient, because I'm not being obedient. We want God to do what we want. We just don't want to do what He wants. So, men, as you're standing back there, you can just go back to your seats if you want. Have a seat. So in a moment... I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, and I'm going to invite you to pray for that person or persons right here, right now. Look for the opportunity to do good. Look for the opportunity to bless, even though you don't want to. I know what I'm saying is difficult. But I know what Jesus is telling us to do is right. Right. Before you bow your head, I want you to uh, look at a picture up here. Chris, if you'll put that picture up. (laughs) Listen. Listen to me. I don't know if you know who those folks are. I'll tell you in just a second. Cindy and I had the privilege of being able to have dinner with them this past week. The guy who's standing right next to me, the bald one, he's a good friend and a brother in Christ. That brother in Christ, a few years ago, there was someone in Dayton who went to his brother and his brother had a TV. He wanted the TV so bad that he put a gun to the back of his brother's head and blew his brains out for a TV that guy that killed his brother is in Lucasville right now and as of our talk this past week he can't find it in himself to go and confront the guy, he can't even pray for him His honesty was so refreshing as he shared his heart with us. For those of you who don't know him, that's Daryl Nichols. He's the pastor over at LifePoint. Just because you're a pastor, I'm going to tell you, I know this because I am one. doesn't mean I have it all together. I'm as jacked up as you are. I'm counting on the grace of Jesus just the way you are. And I'm trying to be obedient to Jesus just the way you are. And I fail just like you do. And sometimes I succeed just like you do. We're all in the same boat. And if you don't know the other guy, that's Cal Ray Evans from out at Rubyville. He and Candy. We had a great time, and and we're we're going to try to eat dinner with them this week, uh, Cal and Candy, because we were actually there at Oscars to, uh, to just meet with Daryl and Krista. And all of a sudden, Cal and Candy come walking, and it was just really cool. And I got to thinking, how cool would it be if the body of Christ would quit viewing each other as enemies? These guys are not my enemies. These are my brothers in Christ who are serving Christ and leading their congregations. What would happen? What would happen in Scioto County if every church, if every church pastor would get his eyes off of himself and his own little flock and get his eyes on the kingdom of God and working together? What would happen? That's when revival would hit. But it's not going to happen, folks. Just because there's a good sermon. It's not going to happen because, wow, our church has a good show. That's not where it happens. Oh, we can whoop it up, and we can sing, and we can dance, and we can shout, but it's not going to happen until it starts happening in the heart. And so as you get ready to pray and take communion, I want you to look in your heart. And then I'm begging you, do what's necessary. Do what's necessary to deal with what's in that heart. And that might mean doing the hard thing, going back to the store with a nickel and saying, I'm sorry. It might be going to that brother or sister and saying, look, I'm sorry. Let's put this behind us. Let's bow our heads together. You pray right here, right now. Father, I thank you that when I was your enemy, you came and died for me. Help me to get beyond myself and pray for and do good to those That are my enemies. Thank you for your mercy. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, broke it apart, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, for this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Each one, drink from it. Christ community, I love you guys. I pray for you all. I value you praying for me. And as we go, let us go and impact our community for Christ. God bless you. You're dismissed.